just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. We still have all the crazy shit going on in the country and throughout the world. The war in Ukraine is still going on. We're hearing about more activity, more bombing, more fighting in the city of Kiev. We'll uh, talk about that in a little bit. There's a couple of stories, though, that I wanted to pass along. Oh, before I do that. You know, I've been looking for that one key tagline or hashtag for uh, tying Republicans and Putin and the Russians together. We've had a lot of good ones. I haven't heard the one yet that really hits home, but this one is close. And I didn't get that from email. I got this from a comment on one of my posts on TikTok. And they referred to uh, Republicans this way. They called them Putriots. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. I don't know if that's it, but Putriots, combining Putin and Patriots. That's interesting. We may go with that. But anyway, let's talk about some of the things that are going on. You'll remember back a little ways uh, when um, some people were indicted from the insurrection and they were charged with seditious conspiracy. That's pretty serious shit. That's sedition. And uh, these people are indicted and going on trial. Well, Joshua James, a member of the Oath Keepers and a co-defendant of Oath Keepers leader, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, has pled guilty to seditious conspiracy. Now, this is a really big win for the DOJ. James has also agreed to cooperate (laughs) with the DOJ. Isn't that great? Mr. Oath Keeper tough guy, insurrectionist, stands with Donald Trump. He gets uh, indicted with seditious conspiracy. He pleads guilty, and he says, oh, sure, I'll talk. (laughs) You know why he's going to talk? Because the uh, potential sentence for seditious conspiracy is a $300,000 fine and a nine-year term in jail. So he's trying to cut that back a little bit. (laughs) He's so proud to be a patriot. (laughs) He's right. Everybody else is wrong. But once he gets a little fucking pressure, he says, oh, yeah, I'll tell you everything. (laughs) So that's that's what he's going to do. That will come down. His sentence will come down based on how cooperative he actually is with the DOJ, how much shit he gives up. We don't know when the sentencing will be, but he has now been convicted of seditious conspiracy. And that's some serious shit. As I say, that's a big win for the DOJ. Now we can say that this insurrection has a guilty verdict for sedition. And that's just going to let everything kind of avalanche down. These other people that are up for sedition are going to have even more problems. This guy admitted to it. This guy is going to turn state's evidence on uh, Elmert Stewart Rhodes, the uh, head oath keeper who's the Mr. Tough guy. He keeps trying to get out of jail until until his uh, trial 
And they keep saying, no, you're not getting out. You're a flight risk. You're a nutcase. You're not getting out. So this guy is going to turn state's evidence on him. And uh, who knows who else? Because there was another, another development along the same lines with seditious conspiracy. Now, the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection alleged in a court filing that Donald Trump and right-wing lawyer John Eastman were part of a criminal conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. The filing is part of an attempt to convince a judge to allow the panel access to emails from Eastman that he calls are privileged. He says they're privileged because he was Trump's lawyer or executive privilege or whatever he's whatever he's suggesting. That's what he's saying. But here's the problem, and this is what the House Select Committee is saying. Even if they are privileged, if it's information dealing with committing a crime or conspiring to commit a crime, that privilege is gone. And that's all been proved at this point. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how this comes down. But the interesting thing is, just the same day that this Oath Keeper pleads guilty to seditious uh, conspiracy, we get this come up. Now, here's what's interesting. This lawyer, Eastman, he's kind of a small fish in this whole thing. The real important issue to remember in what's happening here and in this filing by uh, the House Select Committee is they are saying that they have evidence of crimes being committed. We're talking about um, defrauding, conspiracy to defraud the U.S. and um, obstruction of an official proceeding. They claim to have evidence of it. They're showing it to a judge and saying, we want to see the emails. Now, that sounds interesting. But again, Eastman is a small fish here. But listen to what they said. They believe that they have evidence of criminal activity between Eastman and Donald Trump. This is the first time they've said we've got evidence against former President Donald Trump in the insurrection. And they couldn't file this unless they had some pretty serious evidence. So this is what's going to be interesting. They may have played their hand a little bit, which is good. They may be starting to head down the road to come after Donald Trump. Now, the other thing this does, because they made this a court filing, claiming they have evidence of criminal activity between Donald Trump and Eastman, this puts pressure on the DOJ. If there was a crime, the DOJ definitely has to look at it. It'll be interesting to see if they take it up or when they take it up and what they do. But this puts a lot of pressure on Merrick Garland and the DOJ. This is going to a judge saying we have evidence of criminal activity. The privilege claim doesn't count because it was in the commission of a crime. <laughs> this may be the start of it. Don't get too anxious yet, but it could be the start of it. We've never heard anything like this before. Nobody said anything about this before. So... Things are starting to pop with the uh, House Select Committee. I'm just waiting to see when they are going to start the televised 
hearings. Now, I have a feeling right now is not an opportune time with all that's going on in the Ukraine, uh, because a lot of attention is going to Ukraine. In fact, all the attention is going to Ukraine, and that's where it should be at this point. People are being killed, both Russian and Ukraine. And uh, it's a tragic situation. It's a very dangerous situation. It not only puts Ukraine in trouble, it puts all of Europe and all of the world for this matter. You've got a crazy fuck in Vladimir Putin, and now he's rattling his sabers talking about nuclear weapons. We don't know how crazy he is and what he might do. So this is a dangerous situation. This wouldn't be an opportune time to have the hearings. So they may have to delay these a little bit. Maybe not, but my guess is that that's what they'll do. They'll wait on it and uh, wait to see once that is resolved, if it gets resolved. See, that's the problem for Vladimir Putin. He thought he'd go in and wipe these people out or scare them so much that he'd have control in 72 hours. Well, clearly that's not the case, given that um, given that we're looking now at uh, a week into this thing. And it's still going. It's absolutely still going. And it's terrible. The one thing I had a question about, though, is we keep hearing about this 40-mile convoy that's headed toward Kiev. Now, it's getting closer. But the last couple of days, it really hasn't moved much. And I'm wondering, you know, this thing's been going on for four days, this convoy going toward Kiev. And obviously, the point of them going to Kiev is to overtake the capital, overtake the government, and uh, go from there. But I don't understand why this has been going so slow. Now, some people have told me it's because they're running out of resources, they're running out of gas, they're running out of uh, um, food. I keep hearing this, and I'll repeat it, because I've heard it from enough sources. You know, these kids... And I'm talking about the Russian soldiers because they are basically kids. They were giving given MREs, you know, food that were out of date in 2015. Is that any way to run a fucking army? You send kids into battle and you starve them to death. That's not a fucking good thing. What is this, the revolution? You know, back in the 1700s when kids were freezing and hungry and all that. But this is Russia. They're supposed to be this great powerhouse. I heard a funny story. You know, the one thing we see when we're watching all these videos that are coming out of Ukraine, we're seeing these uh, gangster personalities. You know, I talked about the woman who went up and handed a Russian uh, soldier some seeds so that when he dies and he's buried, something good will grow out of him. (laughs) That's pretty gangster. Or the guy pulling up next to a broken down uh, uh, tank and saying, hey, you want to tow back to Russia? Or there's even the TikTok, as I mentioned before, this young woman, this girl, I don't know if she's Ukrainian or Russian or what have you. But she does the TikTok and she gives a tutorial on how to start an abandoned tank and steal it. Not to mention all the farmers that are hooking up the tanks and stealing them anyway. It's actually pretty laughable if this whole situation wasn't sad. But I heard this story today, and I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is. Well, you know, it's kind of brutal. But So anyway, this you've got this gangster granny 
in Ukraine doing her thing, and these Russian soldiers pull up, and they're hungry. So they're trying to get food from anywhere. And they talk to this uh, Ukrainian grandmother and say, could we get some food? Which is a lot of balls, to be perfectly honest with you. You're trying to invade her country. Now you want her to feed you? Fuck. But this granny says, yeah, I'll feed you. (laughs) So she gets them in there. She's making up whatever she's going to make up, but she slips some laxatives in the food, a lot of laxatives in the food. So when they're done, obviously they've got some diarrhea problems. So they run into the bathroom, which is in a different, almost a separate segment of the house. So they go into that segment. Apparently, this is what they're saying. She locks them in there, and then she goes outside and lights the fucking thing on fire. (laughs) Can you imagine four or five Russian soldiers uh, in a burning building with diarrhea? That's hilarious. That is hilarious. And I got to tell you, though— you know, when we, we, we talk about these Russian soldiers, I do have a little bit of empathy for them. We're seeing video after video of these young men calling their parents on Ukrainian phones, crying and upset. They don't know why they're there. They don't know what's going on. One Russian soldier said, look, Russia's not even gathering the, the dead and bringing them back home. They're just leaving them where they lie. So these people, these young men, are very upset about Russia, and you have to have some empathy for them. But at the same time, they're also coming in and doing horrific things to Ukraine and the people of Ukraine. It's kind of a confusing thing. To some extent, these young men are victims of Vladimir Putin, but they're also the aggressors. It's tough to decide what to think about these folks. The Ukrainians, though, i got to give them credit. They are pretty tough. They are pretty tough. And they are uh, (laughs) knocking some shit around. And they're holding up pretty well. Now, that said, there were large explosions in the city of Kiev. They're attacking residential areas. Now, they said they weren't going to attack civilians, but either now they're making civilians targets or they're just sending up uh, missiles haphazardly and don't care where they land. Now, people seem to be surprised that uh, Vladimir Putin says we aren't going after civilians, and now that he is, they seem surprised by that. But remember, this is the same guy that lined up all his troops on the border of Ukraine and said, no, we're not going to invade. Then he invades. Then he says, we're not going to try to overthrow the government, but now we know he's overthrowing the government. We know that kindergartens, we know that civilian locations have been missiled, uh, mis- bombed, and, and missiled fires on them. And at this point, we've got Vladimir Putin kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of embarrassed by this situation. As I said earlier, they expected to go in, scare them to death, or wipe these people out and take over. But it's been a week now, and They aren't any closer. They're being held off. We've got Russian soldiers um, surrendering and uh, being taken prisoner. I saw one video where they were driving uh, something like a Humvee or something like that, and they ran out of gas, and there was no way to get gas. 
So they just got out of the fucking car and they walked back to Russia. I don't know how far that is. There are some people in the Russian army that are sabotaging their own vehicles to give them an excuse not to fight. The morale of the Russian army is very low, and that's that's not a good thing. And part of it has to do with Vladimir Putin lying to them and sending them into war, and then not properly supporting them with food or ammo or whatever it is. It's hard to keep an army pushing forward if you don't support them at all. And what this goes back to, um, what I said yesterday about uh, we were given the perception that this Russian army uh, Russian military in general was so powerful, and now we see what's going on in Ukraine, and uh, they don't seem so strong. They told us a lot of stuff. It's a lot like Donald Trump. He tells us he's a tough guy. They, he tells us he's for the people, but none of that was true, and that's the same with Vladimir Putin. For whatever reason, we or some people believe the bullshit. Hopefully by now people aren't believing Donald Trump's bullshit And hopefully by now, nobody's believing Vladimir Putin's bullshit. The only real question here, is he just being the the vicious dictator that he's always been, or is he crazy now? Because he's talking about the nuclear weapons. He's talking about the nuclear weapons. Let's be honest. If there is a war involving nuclear weapons, nobody wins. Nobody wins. And I I can't believe that it would go to that extent. I can't believe that he would have the audacity to even talk about trying to start that, and he has already. But we know that he's done some stupid things. He keeps doubling down, and he keeps losing. And as he gets more embarrassed and more upset, he's likely to get crazy. Now, I suspect what's going to happen with Kiev. He's going to hit that thing hard. He's going to hit it hard because he thought he should have taken it over by now, but he didn't. And so he's going to start flailing and he's going to start getting more violent. He's not going to care if he hits civilian targets and that sort of thing. And you know, you watch the Ukrainian people on the videos that are coming through on TikTok and YouTube and what have you. And it's just tragic. I mean, I'm looking at subway stations where they're sleeping just to stay safe. I'm seeing little kids running around. And when I see those little kids, I think of my grandchildren and I'm fucking so mad about it. I feel like we as Americans and the European, the EU, should do something about that. But again, as I've said before, we're kind of caught here. We've committed to not going in and helping them fight uh, because we're, we're concerned about the fact that, that it may turn into World War III and the whole nuclear thing might happen, and that kind of defeats the whole purpose of helping Ukraine. We could help Ukraine, but if World War III starts and nuclear weapons start flying, then uh, we not only didn't save Ukraine, but we put the rest of the world at risk. That's a tough choice. Now, at the same time, while we don't want to be in a hot war with Russia... We're in kind of a cold war of sorts on a smaller level. We certainly are embattled with Russia, and so is Europe. I mean, we're providing all kinds of weapons, all kinds of ammo, all kinds of vehicles. We're offering planes and all sorts of things. 
And frankly, this is starting to piss off Vladimir Putin. And I, who knows what he's going to do with that. While we're not technically fighting the fact that we're doing all these things, Vladimir Putin looks like these are acts of war. Like when we just sanctioned the central bank, that technically could be an act of war because it basically shuts down everything in Russia. It puts Russia in a horrible position. But that's all we can do at this point is use leverage to try to get them to stop. But what we're finding out is Vlad Putin doesn't give a shit because he's got a big castle and he's got all kinds of money and he doesn't care about the people of his country. He doesn't care about the oligarchs. He doesn't care about any of the military or the government. He doesn't care anything about that. He's willing to burn that all down just to be right. Sound familiar, right? Sounds like fucking Donald Trump because personality-wise, these two are the same person. The only difference is Vladimir Putin's a little smarter, a little more successful in his attempt to be an authoritarian dictator. Donald Trump tried it, couldn't pull it off. But Vlad Putin did. It's all a crazy situation at this point, and we have to see what's going to happen. And, and we don't honestly know, actually. We don't know what's going to happen. Now, there are a lot of people leaving the country. In fact, up to this point, there's been a million people who have left Ukraine. That's a million refugees fleeing to other countries. Now, they're expecting as many as five millions over the next week or two. And that's a lot of people. But keep in mind, they're forcing everybody, every male from 18 to 60, to stay and fight. And there are 42 million people in this country. It's a big country. It's not tiny. And Kiev, where they're trying to attack now, that's a, that's a city of 2.8 or 3 million people. That's a big city. I don't know how many people remain there because I would have to think they've gotten out of there. But you... Ukraine puts up a hell of a battle here because they've got sheer numbers. And yes, um, Vladimir Putin put, what, 180,000 troops down on the border, and they've sent a good portion of them into the country. But what you have to understand, out of those 180,000 people, they're not all fighting forces. They're logistics, they're communications, they're whatever. They're not really the fighting force. And we're finding out who the fighting force is, and they're all kids, 19, 20 years old, that don't know what they're doing and scared to death of being there and don't want to be there. This is not a good situation for Russia. It's not a winning strategy for Russia. And you would have thought they would have come up with something better, and this would have been an easy play for them. It hasn't been. It won't be. Will they overtake Ukraine ultimately? That's certainly possible. I mean, it should be likely, given the power of Russia against Ukraine. But we're seeing something totally different now. The fight was taken to them, and Ukraine is holding their own. But they keep doing stupid things. Like I mentioned before, we have this 40-mile-long convoy headed to Kiev. But the last couple of days, they haven't moved much. I have to ask a question. When you're in a military situation and you're coming up with strategies, when does it make sense to put 
hundreds and thousands of vehicles side-by-side, front-to-back, for 40 miles. That's like, that's like uh, putting out, uh, putting out uh, ducks in a pond. Anybody comes in there with any kind of firepower, you can take out a lot of people very quickly by hitting that convoy. I'm a little surprised they haven't yet. As I told you before, we know that uh, the EU has provided 70 more fighter jets, and Ukrainian uh, pilots were going there to get them and come back to Ukraine. I don't know what the status of that is. I haven't really heard anything, but there has been some uh, firing on that convoy. And the convoy, at least at last report, last time I heard about it, they have not made it to Kiev. Maybe some of them have, because as I say, we're seeing more shelling and more bombing in Kiev. It's becoming extremely destructive, and it's starting to heat up. <clears throat> some people have suggested that the fighting, uh, the troops that came in were just kind of the setting things up. They were the weaker troops, and the strong troops will come back in. I don't think that's true. Why would they do that? They, uh, they might like to put out that propaganda to scare people because that's all they do is try to intimidate. But I don't believe that there's another wave of troops coming in that are stronger, more powerful, and uh, ready to fight longer and harder. I, I, I just don't see that. Why? There's no reason to do that. So anyway... We're watching what's going on in Ukraine. We'll have some more stuff to talk about it. Uh, Stick with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So in spite of the entire world knowing what's going on, that Russia just invaded Ukraine for no good reason other than Vladimir Putin's ego, the goal of Russia is to sell propaganda to its own citizens, not tell them all that what's going on. In fact, Vladimir Putin or somebody else in his administration has told Russians that uh, Russia hasn't had any casualties yet. Well, the last report I heard, it was 4,500 troops that were shot and killed. Now, it may be bigger than that now, but it certainly ain't nothing. But that's what they would like the Russian people to believe. Russian government is trying to control all information in Russia, and they're losing miserably in the information war. People aren't believing the propaganda that Putin is attempting to sell. So there's a real chance that Putin, if he starts to get more kickback, if he starts to get more people not believing and the protests getting stronger, and I got to think there's talks of getting him out of there, doing whatever, Don't be surprised if you see Vladimir Putin enact martial law in Russia. Can you imagine that? And that's a a real possibility because that's how he does things. And a lot of people have been reporting that that may happen. But can you imagine that? You're attacking Ukraine. you got your country in martial law. And uh, it's just all about your power and inflicting your... uh, your ideas onto the people of of Russia and punishing them if they happen to kick back. I heard something like uh, four or 5,000 protesters have been thrown in jail. Now, when you get thrown in jail in Russia, what fucking happens? I don't know, but it can't be good. It's not like going into a county jail in the U.S. 
So these people are taking great chances by going out there and protesting. So you have to give them a lot of respect for taking that risk just to speak their mind in a country where you're not really allowed to speak your mind. That's got to suggest some change in that country sometime soon. You can't have the whole country against you and not expect some change. I want to talk about something else here. We have all these countries all across the world sanctioning Vladimir Putin, the oligarchs, and Russia. Everybody's doing it. However, Mexico is refusing to sanction Russia. They say they want to maintain good relations with all countries, which may backfire. I mean, if you're one of the few countries, well, there are countries like Syria and stuff like that that are buddy in North Korea that are buddies with Vladimir Putin and Russia. But somebody like Mexico is kind of impartial. And I understand what they're saying. They don't want to piss off Russia. But at the same time, while you're not pissing off Russia, you may piss off other countries, including America, including people in America. And the problem with that for Mexico is they rely a lot on tourism. And if the cancel culture pops in there and says they aren't sanctioning Russia, fuck them, then a lot of people aren't going to go to Mexico like they do now to vacation. Now, I don't know if that will happen. It depends how much, how much publicity this all gets. But at this point, Mexico is refusing to sanction Russia. They say they want to maintain good relationships with all countries. All countries that invade perfectly peaceful countries and kill innocent people, that's, that's who you want to be your buddy? Well, you may want to look at that. You may want to look at that very hard. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. Uh, there have been people who are predicting that there will be a coup in Russia. Well, we can only hope and pray that that's what happens. Somebody take Vladimir Putin out of power so we can get back to having some peace and maybe get the Russian people better leadership that would allow them to live their lives and flourish because Vladimir Putin's not allowing them to do that. A lot of people starving, a lot of people struggling in Russia, and it's mainly because uh, not only is Vladimir Putin a dictator and vicious and murderous, but he's also incompetent in running a country, a country that's as big as that, has as many resources as it has, and all they sell is oil. You put your, all your eggs in one basket, and you're sure to fuck up at some point. So with all these people suggesting a coup in Russia, I thought, wow, this would be a good opportunity to uh, lend, some, lend a hand there. We've got some people that are experts in coups. We could send them Rudy Giuliani. Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, The Pillow Guy, Paul Gosar. We could send them over there and they could help them out with the coup. They got some experience with it. However, unfortunately, they would probably fuck it up. So uh, maybe that's not a good idea. These people are um, stupid as shit. And they've got enough issues with dealing with the attempted coup that they made in this country. I hear something interesting. We talked about this before. The Russian ruble, which is like the American dollar, dropping to virtually nothing. And the prices are going through the roof. 
Say the ruble at one time was worth a dollar. Now it's worth a penny. So something that's $10 back before this 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 invasion is now, what, what's it going to be, 100 times more expensive? And your money is going to be 100 times less valuable? Needless to say, that is going to cause some problems in that country. A lot of people will not be able to buy things. Their version of the stock market in <clears throat> in Russia still shut down. Four days it's been shut down. And the reason it's been shut down is because they're afraid if they open it up, it'll get even worse. That thing will go through the fucking floor and people will lose tons of money. Now, a lot of people in Russia <clears throat> want to get the hell out of there. You know, I, and I don't even know if they can. I don't, you know, there was a time way back when when they wouldn't let people leave. I think it's loosened up recently. But the fact is, even if these people want to leave, it's going to be difficult. I have a feeling that the Russian government's going to try to stop them. And even if they aren't, every European country, including America now, has closed off their airspace. So I saw some video in a Russian airport, and all it was was a big sign of all the flights that were canceled. So these people that are there that are struggling and suffering because of all the sanctions can't even get out of the fucking place. This thing has to come to an end sometime soon. There's a lot of people struggling and suffering and it can't go on for any extended period of time. Otherwise, we're going to have uh, some real atrocities and real tragedies, both in Russia and Ukraine. So, anyhow, we'll see what uh, what ultimately happens. Um, I wanted to bring this up, too. Uh, the U.N. voted today, yesterday, actually, 141 to 5 to uh, condemn Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. Now, I don't know what that means. You're probably saying, who are the five that voted not to condemn them? Well, I tell you this, China abstained. They didn't vote. They didn't want to go either way. But people like Syria and uh, um, Belarus and uh, some of these other places supported um, Vladimir Putin and Russia. But 141 countries voted to condemn them. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what that does. It may cause some more financial issues for Russia. But in a sense, it was more of a ceremonial thing than it was an actual punishment. Because I don't know what comes out of it. Um, but what it does do, it illustrates perfectly how this world, all of this world, has isolated Russia. And when you cut Russia off from everything financially and transportation and all this stuff, Russia isn't a strong enough country to be isolated, to maintain itself, whether it be food or, <clears throat> or high technology products or even electronics of any kind. If they're cut off from all of that, that pretty much shuts down everything in the country. And we know that to be the case anyway. I wanted to bring something else up, too. I'm reminded of this by one of uh, my commenters on one of my posts. You remember back last summer, 4th of July, we had some politicians go to Russia. Remember that? 
Those politicians include Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Senator Steve Daines of Montana, Senator John, um, I think it's John Hoven of North Dakota, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, that dipshit, don't like him. He's a slimy piece of shit. Senator Jerry Morin from Kansas, Senator John Thune of South Dakota, and Representative Kay Granger of Texas. All Republicans. Why do we need, uh, what, um, eight Republican politicians to go to Russia for? What do they go for? We know that Donald Trump helped to uh, make look you make Ukraine look bad. We know he did that, and now we've got Russian uh, people. Some of them are Trump humpers, John Kennedy, Ron Johnson. I don't know about these other. They're kind of no name people, but they went to Russia. And the question is why? Why did they go to Russia? Are they in on all this? Are they trying to help Vladimir Putin overtake Ukraine? Fuck, I don't know. I don't know. Here's a good funny story. You know, with all the sanctions, they are freezing all the assets, and that means money and property. But then during the the State of the Union, Joe Biden made, made a comment that was interesting and probably scared the shit out of uh, some people. <laughs> He said, okay, we're freezing a lot of these oligarchs' property, but next up, we're going to start seizing their shit. And as I said yesterday, seizing and freezing, vastly different. If you're freezing their stuff, you're temporarily holding it away from them until you get what you want. If you seize their shit, they're never getting it back. Now, this wasn't America, but this was Germany. Germany seized a massive $600 million yacht that was owned by Russian oligarch Elisher Usamanov, I think his name is. Now, this guy's a very close buddy to uh, Vladimir Putin, <clears throat> so he's got to be pretty happy with Vlad. Uh, he just lost a $600 million boat, and it was seized. He's not getting this back. We'll see more of this. These kinds of seizures are going to happen. And I have to give a shout out to Germany. Nobody was really sure how they'd get involved in these sanctions and all that stuff. But they were one of the first ones to step up and say, we're shutting down the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Now, that's going to cost them a little bit in terms of price of gas. Their people are going to pay more money. But they took that risk in order to shut down the pipeline in order to pressure Vladimir Putin to stop this war. I give them credit. And then they're the first ones to seize property, this $600 million fucking yacht. I mean, this is more than a half a billion dollar yacht. Look, <laughs> I got a pontoon boat on the lake I live on. It is uh, 20 feet long. I bought it new. It cost about twenty grand. <laughs> so that'll give you an idea of the difference in boats. I got a twenty thousand dollar boat that that isn't worth twenty thousand anymore because I've had it a few years, and he's got a six hundred million dollar boat, but he doesn't have it anymore. The German government now has it. It'll be interesting to see what they do. 
But because Joe Biden mentioned it, and because Germany did what they just did, you're going to see a lot more property being seized. Anything that's outside of Russia, and that's what oligarchs do. They like to have their money outside of Russia, in the United States, in Europe, what have you. And because they have all that money in those foreign countries, these foreign countries, if they happen to be against the Ukrainian invasion, well, they're going to lock that shit up. At best case, they're going to freeze their property and assets and their money, or they're just going to seize the shit. This could be a great uh, business model for some of these countries. You know, if these people have billions of dollars in other countries, what do you, fuck, free money. (laughs) And that's got to piss off the oligarchs. Now, for a time, I thought, well, these oligarchs hold some power. And so they would put pressure on Vladimir Putin. I did some investigation about that. And what I found was um, the oligarchs probably aren't going to kick back against Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is above them and doesn't take shit from them. He doesn't care how much money they have because he has more and because he has the power of running Russia. So as much as the oligarchs will be upset about this, I don't think now that they're going to kick back or do anything to force Vladimir Putin to do something. Now, that said, if you've got 20 or 30 oligarchs that are all losing money and they come together, that might be a different situation. That might put more pressure on Vladimir Putin. There's this other oligarch. His name is Abramovich. He owns a um, soccer team, a professional soccer team in Europe called Chelsea. I think it's in England. He owns that, and he sees the writing on the wall that they're going to take this shit away from him, and he's going to be stuck and lost uh, without whatever money he's put into it. So he's trying to beat that, and I'll give him credit for it. He's doing some PR on this situation, too. He is going to sell the club. He's not going to own it anymore. But get this, this is what he says. Now, whether he'll do it or not will be interesting. But he says once he sells this soccer club, football club, whatever you want to call it, um, Chelsea, he's going to give all the proceeds of the sale to the people of Ukraine to help them in this invasion. Well, that's a pretty commendable thing, but it tells you how much money these fucks have. He's trying to make himself out to look like a good guy. He's trying to make himself look like uh, he's doing the right thing. But uh, we'll see. We'll see if it actually happens that way. And if uh, they actually get it sold and whether Ukraine gets the money or not. I wanted to talk about uh, another dictator fuck, too. His name is... uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't know if you saw the video on this, but it's <clears throat> it's kind of funny and it's kind of despicable. Governor DeSantis was going to give a speech someplace, and he had, it's about education, and he had kids behind him. Now, all these kids have masks on, COVID masks. And he walks up and sees this. He gets upset. And he says, you take those off. Well, you can keep them on, but this is ridiculous. And he's upset and he's mad. And clearly he's embarrassed because he's the one that's been against the masks. 
My question is, if you walk up and you see these people with masks, why do you care if they have masks on? It's only about embarrassing and being disrespectful to you. Well, you stupid fuck, you deserve to be disrespected because you've disrespected your entire your entire state. You've put them in harm's way by the way you handled COVID. Many people died in Florida because of Ron DeSantis. It's like Donald Trump with all of America. He put us all in jeopardy. He put us all in danger. And 900,000 people died because of the inability, the ineptitude, and the fucking stupidity and the criminal activity of Donald Trump. I will talk to Trumplicans all day, and they will try to tell me, well, uh, the pandemic wasn't uh, Donald Trump's fault. Fuck, it wasn't. We've had other pandemics, and we've had presidents, and we've had committees, and we've had uh, strategies to handle them. And none of them, at least since 1918, have they gotten to this extent. But even in 1918, we had 625,000 people die. This time, we have 900,000 people that died. Now, granted, there were fewer people and less technology and less medicine in 1918, but have we not learned a fucking thing? Well, we have learned a fucking thing. It's just a matter of a president and a political party trying to push against it, forcing people to catch this fucking virus and die because they thought it was more expeditious for their election in 2020. That's the only reason that they kicked back about making COVID a big deal. Little did they know that uh, it was going to be a big deal because they ignored it. I don't know, Ron DeSantis, I'm hoping against hope that he is voted the fuck out of there because he has been nothing but a disaster for the state of Florida. And and here's the fucked up thing, at least in my mind. Um, Florida is a great state. There are some nice people in Florida, beautiful scenery, beautiful beaches. People by the millions go down there every year to vacation and to enjoy the uh, the beaches and the water and the nice weather and all that stuff. But I got to tell you, I could go a lot of places to get warm after being in Minnesota's winter. I refuse to go to Florida. I just can't go to Florida. After what I've seen that's happened in that state, not only Ron DeSantis, but the Trump humpers all around the state, I can't justify ever going to Florida again. And that's sad because I do like Florida. I like Fort Myers. I like uh, Tampa. I like uh, Cocoa Beach. I like I want to go down to the Keys. I've never been down to the Keys, and now I could go down to the Keys, but I can't do it. And I can't be the only one that's feeling that way. And that's got to have an impact on the economy for Florida. People just don't want to go down there anymore. Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about is about the State of the Union speech. You remember that. It's actually a very good speech. Um, uh, Joe Biden um, did a lot of good stuff in it. He did a couple things I didn't like, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but during the State of the Union... You'll remember hearing about and seeing all the videos of this. Lauren Boebert heckled President Biden. Actually, Marjorie Taylor Greene did, too. But Biden was talking about fallen soldiers, whether it be from Afghanistan, Iraq, or wherever there were soldiers that were killed in battle. 
and he was talking about coffins with flags draped over them. And, of course, Lauren Boebert had to yell out, well, you put 13 of them from Afghanistan in there. So you'll remember when we had the pullout from Afghanistan, 13 American soldiers were killed, and that is tragic. That is absolutely tragic. But what she failed to remember was that uh, we had a similar situation in Syria and more American soldiers died there. Not to mention the pandemic where they killed 900,000 people. Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene are both classless pieces of shit. They are fucking horrendous. And why they are still in Congress amazes me. Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House of Representatives, the Republican, he is absolutely gutless. He doesn't do anything, and then when somebody asks him, why didn't you do anything, he fucking runs away. That's a fucking coward. And this guy, all he can think about is being the Speaker of the House. Well, he's not going to get that opportunity because Republicans aren't going to take the majority in the House in 2022 in November. They just aren't. There's too much bad shit coming out. And the fact that they're now being tied to Putin and Russia is not going to help them at all. Now, let's just talk about Biden real quick. He, he, you know, the first 15 minutes or so, he really talked about unity, and that was good. He talked about the Ukrainian war, and uh, I was amazed, but he got unity from both Democrats and Republicans. When he was talking about that, he got both parties to stand up. Now, when he got into other things, it became more partisan again, the same old bullshit that we're dealing with. The one thing that I had a real problem with, and I've said this before, and we've gone through all these ideas for hashtags and stuff like that. He talked about authoritarianism and dictators and Putin and Russia a lot. But he didn't take the opportunity to pin it on the Republicans. There's no question about it. They said he's a genius. They said that it was a wonderful time going into uh, Ukraine. And now that there's fighting and people dying, they're trying to step back from it. At that moment in time, Joe Biden should have pinned it on him. Should have pinned it on him. Because that's one thing that's going to help out more than anything when it comes to the midterms. So I was disappointed that Biden did not do that. And he was not real specific about how he was going to fix things. He said he's going to fix things, but he wasn't specific about it. This goes back to what we talked about before, Democrats having, a trouble, having trouble with messaging. Republicans will repeat over and over and over again the things they've accomplished. Fuck, they'll make stuff up that never happened, and they'll repeat it over and over again. And the average Joe that doesn't watch much TV or really look into anything will believe it because they heard it a hundred times. The Democrats need to take a lesson from that. You need to put it in front of people. Don't assume that they will know everything that's going on. I mean, Jesus Christ, we've got people bitching about um, bitching about inflation, which is, you know, legitimate. People are going to bitch about inflation. 
but we've got a stock market that's going crazy, a job market that's been better than ever. Joe Biden created six and a half million jobs in his first year, the most amount of jobs any president has ever created in the history of this fucking country. The GDP is double what Donald Trump ever even tried to do. The economy is in excellent shape in spite of all the things going on with uh, investigations and all those sorts of things. It's been amazing. And you know why it's, the economy is good? The economy is good in part because of that COVID relief bill that Joe Biden passed. For the first time in years and years and years and decades, they put money back into the middle class. And that's what's making our economy thrive the way it is. He didn't say any of that shit, and he should. He should repeat it over and over again. Let nobody forget about it, especially the Republicans. You've got to take a note from the Republicans. Shove this down people's throat because apparently they don't believe. All you have to do is look at the polling, and they don't like what uh, what Joe Biden is doing with the economy. How is that fucking possible? It's one of the best economies we have had ever. And I'm not saying that like Donald Trump said it. I'm saying it because it's a fact. The numbers play out exactly what I'm saying. But everybody on the Republican side, oh, that inflation's going to kill us. The inflation's going to kill us. And the inflation is bad. But inflation always goes away at some point, as long as the government is allowed to do things to end it. But unfortunately, we have obstructionist Republicans who stop everything that allow us that doesn't allow us to fix the inflation that build back better bill if it was passed and and the middle class was able to benefit from it like they're supposed to that would help inflation but republicans just keep spewing lies and they say it over and over again and people believe it apparently even some democrats believe it and that's fucking stupid so if that's the only way you can win an election, then why not take up that mantle and do the same fucking thing? And I don't see Joe Biden doing it. I don't see the Democrats doing it. I think they're making a horrible mistake. Hopefully I'm wrong. But again, it, it goes back to what I said before many podcasts ago. If you're sitting there on in November of 2022 and you got to make a decision, Democrat or Republican. <laughs> are you really going to vote Republican? You, if you're mad at the Democrats because of inflation, are you really going to go the other way and vote Republican, the insurrectionist party, the party that loves Putin and Russia and loves invading Ukraine, the party that's under investigation, the party that's going to have members of Congress expelled from Congress? Is that really where you're going to go? Joe Biden's done all these things, and you're worried about the inflation, so you're going to go fucking authoritarian. Well, if you do that, you're fucking stupid. It's not so much that you're not happy with Joe Biden because of inflation. you got to pick the lesser of two evils, and it ain't a fucking hard choice. Just look at the facts. All right, we're going to wrap it up for another Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me. I enjoy it. And I appreciate it immensely. If you have questions, comments, complaints, send me an email, rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm, look for the Rational Boomer, and uh, leave me a voicemail. So I want to thank you again for joining me one more day on the Rational Boomer podcast. We will talk to you tomorrow.
Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.